I wanna get to the word of God, it's the best thing. We're in our Unlikely Church series. I'm encouraged as we read through 1 Corinthians uh, that these people are almost as messed up as I am and as you are, and God still uses a church, the unlikely church. We're in chapter nine, we're gonna finish up chapter nine. I wanna import a tradition uh, from my church to here, and I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. I'm gonna read verse, last part of verse 22 all the way through the end of the chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter nine. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I may save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after to others, I myself should be disqualified. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray together. Jesus, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word that's beyond my thoughts, any of our thoughts or opinions. Help us to run the race that you've marked out for us, to be driven by all the ought-tos that are from your throne and not our ought-tos or ought-not-tos, but overwhelm us with your prize, your calling, the way you define our lives, the adventure you have for us, the joy you've paid for. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to do what uh, Pastor Simon and I share a passion for, uh, and that is I want to teach through the passage I just read. Uh, The first four or five years of leading my church, I ran out of things to say. And it turns out the Bible doesn't run out of things to say, praise the Lord. I love the Bible. I grew up in Bend, and I had all sorts of ways of defining and misdefining myself. And I thought I was a pretty decent guy. And I, I always wondered what's wrong with me, right? And there's all sorts of questions and answers for uh, what we're supposed to live for. But the Bible, nothing like the Bible, really accurately diagnoses my issues and my problems, but also has greater solutions than, my prob- than just fixing my problems. I love the Bible. I want to teach through it. And as we go through this passage, that Paul's talking about like Olympic games and stuff like that. Uh, I have a three word idea, uh, an imperative, a challenge. uh, You can call it a a title if you're taking notes. And this kind of functions as kind of putting my thoughts, uh, what I'm gathering from this into context. So my three words are this, play to win, play 
to win. Uh, if you don't speak fluent jock like I do, uh, if you're not super competitive, then I promise the Holy Spirit will help you translate into your own disposition. But play, play to win. Paul, Paul played to win. He was won by Christ, made from an enemy to a saint, and he, with the little time he had on earth, he played to win. He, he's using the Olympic Games here as uh, a context to share this message, play to win. The Olympic Games was really celebrated. They were, it was really obsessed over, rather, in, in Greek culture. Corinth was one of the most important cities in ancient Greece. Uh, the Olympic Games went on for about 1,100 years in ancient Greece, from 700 BC or something like that to like the fourth or fifth, almost the fifth century AD, uh, especially in Corinth, it was very celebrated. Um, and he says, in a race, is what the translation I read translated. Your translation might say, like many of them say, in the games, verse 24, in the games, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. So, run that you may obtain it. My translation of that is play to win. This church that he's writing to played all sorts of games with religion and uh, played around with a lot of things, and often they weren't playing for the prize that God had given to them and extended to them by his grace. And so often that can be us. We can, we can set our eyes on so many good things that are lesser than what God calls us to. This is my story growing up. I wanna share a little more of my story. I, I played all sorts of games and I played to win all sorts of things that were not the, the prize that God has for us. My dad and my brother, played professional baseball. That was honestly my life purpose. It was my goal. It was my religion. I worshiped baseball uh, as much as I worshiped myself and my own definition of myself and what my desires and my life purpose was for. Uh, I played to win a game that was not what God called me to live. And I tried to satisfy myself with things that would never satisfy I, uh, I was kind of a, a faker Catholic, and really what that meant to me was I just tried to go to church on Sundays to feel guilty about all the things that I had no intention of changing, nor power to change, uh, and the girls I was manipulating, and, and I went to church. I was kind of religious, but I was just a regular old hypocrite. Uh, Bend, Oregon at the time, a little context for this, we were in between lumber and beer. Um, the church that my wife and I lead in Texas now is extremely diverse. So here's how I describe Bend. Uh, I describe Bend as it's the heart of Caucasia, where we measure uh, diversity by the different colors of Subarus driving around town. And my little world in Bend and my goals and my desires and my plans were everything to me. I mean, I, I, I am on the front end of the millennial generation and after all, I am special. That's what my teachers told me growing up. The only thing is, 
My desires never satisfied me. I thought the only people who were honestly serious about religious things were people who just didn't have anything better to do because they weren't invited to the parties that I was invited to. Uh, I honestly thought that the people who tried to follow the religious rules were just doing it out of guilt. I didn't have another paradigm for it. Uh, I thought it was old people and ugly people. I, I, I wouldn't have said it like that because I was too humble, but I thought that those were the only people who would ever kind of like just be boring and religious, right? And then I get to high school and I was invited to this Bible study by a guy that I used to smoke with at the middle school bus stop. His name's Josh. And Josh was high on something else and I didn't have a context for it and I was curious about it. He kept inviting me to this on-campus Bible study and quite honestly, I finally went, not because I wanted to go, but more because I wanted Josh to stop inviting me. He was passionate. He wanted to relate to me about baseball and football, and he had no idea what, to, what he was talking about. He didn't really have a true interest, but he wanted to relate the gospel to me. Now, let me clarify. He wasn't just trying to relate to me. He was wanting to relate the gospel to me. He had such a passion and a single-mindedness for Jesus. It really is, is like I see in, here with Paul. He says, I have become all things to all people that I, by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. He was so overwhelmed with a passion for Jesus that he could not stop preaching the gospel to me. And he related to me. And it wasn't his relatability that drew me. It was a passion for Jesus that was satisfying him so much more than my sin was satisfying me. And I was curious. And I went to this Bible study. It was on campus, room C13 at Ben Senior High School. I went there, and what I saw terrified me. I saw people, young people, passionate about God and satisfied by him and yet all the more hungry at the same time. And these people, for whatever reason, this was important to me at the time, they were not ugly. <laughs> that blew my excuses apart right away. In fact, I right away got a, a crush on my, my, the girl that's now my wife and uh, it took me years to, for her to say yes to go to prom. She wasn't as interested in me as I was in me. And... Um, <laughs> but she was passionate about Jesus. These people were doing what it took to reach out to me. And since I came to know Jesus, the second week, September 18th, 1997, I just uh, turned 20. I know I look pretty good for a 20 year old. Uh, 20 years ago, Jesus transformed my life and I, I still can't quite explain how my desires changed. The things I used to love, I started to hate things I used to think were so cute, started to hate. The things I used to hate and I thought were just dead rules, I could not stop chewing on it. The word of God. And since then I've had a desire to win, to play to win. Jesus set me into this, this race to win. And before I die, which I intend to be like when I'm old, but I don't know, 
before I die, I want to help as many people as God wills to come to know Jesus and be won by him like Josh helped me. That's my single-mindedness that I hope Jesus continues to preserve. But here's the thing about this. What we're going to see in this passage is what you'll see if you've been a Christian for any time longer than like six or seven months. That it becomes really easy to lose your single-mindedness to play to win. In fact, I'm going to draw a few things out in this passage that show really as alternatives to playing to win that I hope that I can encourage you to avoid. The first thing I see, uh, in, especially in verse, the second part of verse 24, is this. Don't play to play. Play to win. Don't play to play. Play to win. The Corinthian church that Paul was writing to at the time seemed really content to enjoy the blessings of the gospel that had been extended to them and not as passionate about sharing it with others. They, they were having a big goofy party and they were having fellowship technically, which to them it seems it just meant kind of hanging out with each other and kind of playing around with spiritual gifts and kind of that sort of thing but they didn't seem like they were focused on playing to win others and extending the mission of God and the worship of God to other peoples. And Paul writes to them in correcting them. They, they seem to scorn a lot of things that would further the advance of the kingdom, paying ministers. They, they became insular, kind of, you know, us four no more in their disposition. They... Uh, they thought that their church services were a, a time to kind of goof around and, and kind of have fun, even if people visiting from the outside were freaked out by it. Uh, some of y'all are like, man, I know what that church is like. I've contributed to the goofiness. They seemed content to be entertained by temporary things like the Olympic Games. Uh, or to us, it could be the NFL, or the NBA, or Beyonce, or Game of Thrones, or whatever that thing is that could, maybe it's not evil, and maybe you have reasons why it's okay, but it's not the prize. It's not the reason why we've been won. It's not playing to win. It's playing to play. And Paul kindly cuts into their distractions, and he uses their distractions, maybe the, the entertainment world that they were connected to, he uses their distractions to correct them lovingly and cuttingly. I love that God often does this with me. I'm distracted, I'm not focused where I should be, and yet he meets me there to bring me back to my purpose. Has that ever been you? God doesn't treat you like you fear you would be treated, or maybe like you you deserve to be treated, and castigating you. You should be focused on this. He says, you know how you're kind of like, you like this game? You know, you know how they play to win? You know how, you know how they, they, they play for the prize? Well, that's what church is about. That's what God is doing through the Apostle Paul to these people who are not playing to win. They were just playing to play. They were playing around. And I want to encourage you, play to win, not just to play. 
The point of a soccer game, for instance, I found is scoring goals and specifically scoring more goals than the other team scores. That's the point of the game. The point of a business is to turn a profit. Now, you might say, if you're my age and younger, you might say, well, not my business. The business that I have, my point is not just to turn a profit, it's to change the world. And I wanna tell you, go and change the world. I love that business plan. But if you don't turn a profit, that altruistic idea is really never gonna make it past Kickstarter. The point of a business is to turn a profit And the point of a football game, right, is to score touchdowns or at least field goals. And the point of a church, what is it? We're to make disciples. We're to win people as we've been won. Now, if you say the point of church is is to worship, yes, I agree. We're to worship, but we're to grow as worshipers, as disciples that extend our worship to others who are worshiping other things. I proclaim the excellencies of him who's called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, God has a way of turning your worship into multiplication and mission like he did with Josh in my life. I saw his passion and his desire and I could see why is my stuff not satisfying me? Spurgeon said, people come preacher from a few hundred years ago on the other side of the drink, on the other side of the Atlantic, he said, I just get set on fire and people come to watch me burn. Play to win. Don't just play to play. The next thing I see is don't play just not to lose. Don't play not to lose, play to win. Verse 27, I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it for the sake of self-punishment and self-flagellate. No, it doesn't say that. They do it for the sake of the wreath, the prize. The, the, the modern equivalent is the, the gold medal. They're playing to win. That's what athletes do. That's why they discipline themselves. Disciplining yourself for the sake of discipline alone is foolishness. We don't just play to not lose. We don't just play to punish ourselves or to feel guilty about the things that we're not doing. We play to win. We are driven by the joy of Jesus. And in light of that, the lies that would detract from the goal that he set us towards, they are put in their place when we are enlarged and we step on those things and squash them in, in the, in the, on the way to something greater. Don't just play to not lose or to play out of fear of losing. I've known people who've called themselves Christians, and when I ask them, hey, what's that all about to you? They're, they tell me all sorts of things that they don't do, right? Well, I don't drink, uh, except on these days of the year, right? And, uh, you know, I don't smoke. And, uh, you know, I've, you know, all these lists of things that they don't do. And I'm thinking, that's, that's okay, but, but why? You just seem like boring. What's the point of all that? When we're driven by something greater, it puts in context the ought not to's. 
The thou shalt nots only have context when, it, when the thou shalts and the go and do's are driven to our face and we see because God has called me to this, because God has called me and my family to this sort of marriage, to this sort of legacy, therefore the filth, the easy way out today for my sexuality, for my this or that, those things are put into their context in the thou shalt nots because there's something greater for you even though you don't deserve it any more than I do. Jesus has called you to this, this life, and therefore this other thing should have its right context. We don't just play to not lose. We don't just play to, to, to the, the ought not tos. It's about what ought we do. What are we made for? my middle school STD training. Anyone remember that? They wanted to scare us not to have sex. And I remember seeing all those pictures and like the motivational speakers, but you know what? What a waste of money. That didn't motivate me. It was only when I saw a greater desire rise up in me by the one who won me that I saw, okay, this desire, this this sin, you know, sin is pretty fun. Let me just be honest. I want to confess. Sin was fun. I liked it. But when Jesus won me with something greater, those other things that didn't satisfy were subordinated. And for the last 20 years or so, he's been continuing to uh, put my desires in their place and replace them by greater desires. He's He's still good in helping me through that process as he is to you. So don't just play not to lose. Don't play just to play and don't play to lose either. Play to win. Verse 27 is so interesting. It's our last verse here. He says, I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself may be disqualified. Meaning like I can have all this success and then just waste it. Who wants to do that? I love the, 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 the verse in the Greek literally says this. Instead of saying discipline my body and keep it under control, he says, I pummel my flesh and make it my slave. That's some intense language. Paul goes hard. <laughs> I buffet my flesh, King James says, and make it my slave. Why? Why? Because there's something better. I tell my body what to do. It does not tell me what to do. Don't play to lose. Don't, another, another way of saying it, uh, don't let your guard down. Don't get too high on yourself. Sometimes success, and Simon and I know we've been in the ministry for a while, success in ministry or in any other sort, sort of life can be one of the greatest tests. Don't get too high on yourself. Don't play to lose either. Many of y'all remember the Super Bowl last year? Oh my gosh, what a legendary last-minute fail. The, uh, the Atlanta Falcons were ahead like, I don't know, like a lot. 22 points. Wow, it just reminds you of that, that old adage, you know, don't count your chickens uh, before Tom Brady's 50th birthday. Gosh, they were ahead by like three possessions at least. And they lost in the last minute. God forbid that that's any of our lives. Now, I'm not saying that you need to walk around paranoid. 
but walk around tender to the Holy Spirit, no matter how long you've been walking with him. I don't walk around paranoid like, you know, uh, the next beautiful woman I notice is just going to be my undoing. Oh no, God, I'm just fearful wherever I walk around. We don't have to walk around paranoid, but I walk around with remembrance that I'm only strong in my weakness. I'm only strong in his strength. And his strength teaches me to pummel my flesh and to make it my slave for a higher purpose. Don't play to lose or to just try your best to not lose or just to play. Play to win. But with our time remaining, a few more minutes, I want to help you. I don't want to just leave you with just some religious words that are left so ambiguous, kind of like, I'm not quite sure what that means, but it felt good. I don't want to leave you with that. What does he mean when he says these things? When I say play to win, what am I hoping? What have I been praying for? What have we been praying together? This, this gift that God's given this church and this miraculous providential moment where we get to sit in a place like this and all these beautiful faces around us. What is this for? What does playing to win precisely look like? When Paul is talking about the prize, he's talking about the people that Jesus saw when he went to the cross, which is the people in this room and the people not yet in this room. And so for us to play to win, it's to have the same mindset. When Paul says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, somewhat, some people. When he says in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and it's blessing. Share with who? With the people who do not yet know Christ. He shares with them blessings and the prize that God is talking about our people. All the other things that we worry about and that we try to budget for will burn up and they're not eternal. Only a human soul is eternal. So when I say play to win, I mean win others as you've been won. I don't, I don't say win others in order to win God's favor. That is a false gospel. You extend the favor that you already received when you didn't deserve it. Jesus didn't find me when I cleaned myself up. He found me in my dirt, in my mess, in my sexual perversion, and he went there with his blood. And there's some people there that you may have previously today simply been trying your best to not be annoyed with at work. And God's saying, we can do better than this. You've been one, and I'm gonna use you to win them. You might say, okay, well, once my marriage kind of gets a little bit squared away a little more and we, we get some synergy there a little more, maybe not. Maybe God wants to use you in your mess to draw others to himself. And the only one who could receive the glory is the one who died and rose again. Today, win others as you have been 
one. I love Paul's single-mindedness. He says, I press on in Philippians 3. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Don't miss the because in the Bible. You don't win others so that you can impress God or so that you can win his favor. I love God. I want to win others to Christ before I die. Why? Because. Not so that. I want to win others because he's won me. It's not a sense of obligation. If you have a sense of obligation like, man, I go to work, I should. I probably should pray with this guy. If you're driven by an obligation, let me help you right here. Maybe just go take a nap. It's okay. Don't be driven by an obligation. But when you're driven by the wonder and you remind yourself of how Jesus has won you, it gives you more context to reach out to others. And when you remember how Jesus has reached you, let me, let me give you a practical thing. When Paul says, I'll do, all, I'll do everything I can to win the lost, I think he means everything. Uh, there's a preacher in Seattle that says, we will do whatever it takes be, besides sin to reach others in our church. I love that. Uh, Now, I've tried all sorts of things, and I want to do fruitful things. I remember renting a limousine and going down to where the drunk people were and uh, giving them a ride home. Um, Now, that was fun, but it wasn't fruitful. And so if you walk out of here thinking, well, i got to do all these things, no, no, no. What What if my challenge to you was, what if you regularly prayed for people that God has sovereignly placed around you and watch what God does there. Uh, in our church, we have this thing in our, in our small groups, your ecclesia is, we call it needs and names. Everyone in this circle needs to have a need that we're gonna pray for. And everyone in this circle needs to have a name of someone that's not yet in this circle that we're gonna pray for too. And watch what God does. A people that prays for people that are not in that circle, that sort of people is transformed from obligation type of people to overflowing, anointing, prophetic sort of people. That's what I want. I want the overflow that Paul's talking about. He says, I've been won by this thing and I cannot shut up about it. I have to pray for others. I think it was Spurgeon as well that said, uh, the more you talk to God about lost people, the more power you have to talk to lost people about God. What if we were just a praying people and you saw that that person that annoyed you at work or in your family that you're kind of dreading to see at the holidays again because at Thanksgiving you almost didn't cuss at him. What if God providentially is showing you that your participation in this fast has everything to do with that person coming to know Jesus and being a disciple. Who knows? I'll leave you with this. Let's remember this, that Paul says, uh, he says that uh, I, I have, uh, well, I'll just read it. He says, I have become all things to all people. Before Paul became all things to all people, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. He left his throne in heaven. He lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. Don't get used to that. Don't get used to the Christmas songs and and cease being mystified. 
He lived a perfect life. He lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died in our place to pay the penalty that you and I precisely deserve and he rose again from the dead. It's a verifiable historical fact upon which this congregation is built so that we could overflow with his life. Lord, I pray that if there's people here that do not yet know you, uh, that they don't yet enjoy you, maybe, uh, maybe they've been coming to church, maybe they've been saying uh, the, 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 the Christian prayers, um, they don't yet know you. If there's people here that maybe aren't winning and playing to win because they have not yet been won, I pray that you would release the mercy and the gift of faith even in this place. If you confess in your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe that God rose him from the dead, the Bible promises you will be saved. If that's you, if you've not been won by Jesus, you haven't yet fully believed, you haven't been born again, you haven't been regenerated, made new, you don't have to wait for an altar call, you don't have to wait for uh, the, the coffee afterwards, you don't have to wait to go to a, a group. Jesus wanted to make sure that you know that only placing faith in him is enough because he's done everything. So if that's you, even where you are, thank you, Lord. Pray, say, God, forgive me. Jesus, make me new. And he will. Thank you, Lord.